Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Talking Toro podcast. Uh, I'm here once again with my good friend Peter Bourne. Uh, and first up, we will just be discussing Torino's 1-1 draw with Lazio from Saturday evening. Um, once again, unfortunately, Torino played well and were, I think, unlucky to uh, concede a late goal. But I will pass over straight over to Peter to give us his give us his thoughts on the game. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, hi everyone. Yeah, for me, the ninety second minute, I um, so I was watching the match in my kitchen on on an iPad, and ninety second, I thought we were really professional. I thought it was a really good performance on on Saturday, and I I can be quite critical of um, Torino performances, but I thought it was professional, tactically perfect. Um, we made Lazio very. Um, very impotent they created very little and in a certain sense you know even when the match the 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 time was was ticking down I wasn't really concerned that, that Lazio were going to score but as soon as it hit 90 there's four minutes of, of added time and it hit the 92nd minute and I was I was like I can't watch this anymore so I put the iPad to the side I started doing the washing up there's a little bit of washing up to do on the side and um, I just heard on the right um, and Chiro Immobile, and I'm just like, yeah, we shouldn't. Re- yeah, we've we've been really good at not swearing a, a, on this podcast, but just for every fucking time. And Torino just do this. It's what we do. It's a trademark. We were. It was so comfortable. It was so professional. It was a perfect performance. And to concede a goal like that is just so careless. Um, it was just it just showed a real lack of maturity. I mean, just I mean, statistically, Immobile, I think in the last four matches we played against Lazio has scored an equaliser in injury time. Uh, one of those matches they went on to win, and they could have with that Cataldi shot late on, they could have gone on to win the, the, this match, which would have been um, absolute robbery. Um, but yeah, Torino just find a way not to win these matches, dis- despite playing so well, and I think it was just let's just break down that goal. Um, I think as well as we played, I think there was a kind of the last 20 minutes, we weren't a goal threat. And that was one of my, that's one of the slight disappointing things was just, we didn't really um, offer much on the break, probably with about 20 minutes to go, which gave Lazio a little bit more courage to come forward. Um, but even so they created so little. And then there was, yeah, there's a series of events with, with Pellegri losing the ball, uh, I think Zima, uh, you pinpointed Zima being massively out of position, uh, marauding and, forward, and, and that's it, and that's it, where yeah. that's where his area is where the goal is scored, which I think is why I was kind of pointing the finger at Zima. Yeah, um, so his the cross is a very good cross from Milinkovic Savic. I mean, it's pinpoint. Um, Barisha does not come out, uh, or either I don't know what Barisha is doing. Bremer is 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 kind of caught out because he's not got the the other man marker next to him, but probably doesn't cover himself in too much glory. And again, those defensive changes he makes, um, you know, taking off Pobega to bring on Bongiorno, there was, there was still a reshuffling at the back with, uh, it, you know, not to blame that Itza went off, but there's always that kind of sense that, um, you know, people are finding finding their positions and um, in those final minutes of games. But it, yeah, it was, a ser- it was a kind of series of very small errors left led to that goal. Um but it was so frustrating, so disappointing because we we absolutely dominated that match tactically. Um, 
and deserve to win. And uh, Torino just always find a way, always find a way. And yeah, I think usually when you when you sort of set, use that phrase, it's usually meant in a more positive way that some teams always find a way to win. Uh, Torino always seem to find a way not to win. And if you think if you look at the the sort of wins that we've managed this season, the majority of them have been sort of ones where we dominated and and got two or three goals ahead. Um, I think a Salernitana at home, Fiorentina. Uh, especially there's been very, very few games where we've won and maybe not deserved to, maybe the Salernitana game away, um, and then games which we've deserved to win and finally have sort of got that goal which which we needed, sort of a uh, Sassuolo game, whereas this, this is under the category where we definitely deserve to win. Lazio didn't, I don't think, created a chance. I couldn't think of there being like Berisha having to make a save up until the goal, uh, which probably in a way makes it worse because if if you're up against it for sort of the last 20, 30 minutes and a goal comes, you can be like, oh, well, we were sort of right at our luck and, and that's probably what, what Lazio deserved. But that was literally the only thing they created probably in the entire game. Um, and so the only the only positive from my side is that we're not in, we're, we're not fighting for European places. We're not fighting to avoid relegation. And I think the annoyance of that result would be, amplified massively if it was a game that, where there was something riding on it um, and just looking to the future I still think it's positive that I think you can take the positive out of these situations that yes we've we've put ourselves in a position to win these games this one against Inter as well and we've not quite managed it in injury time but I think if the signs are there for the for next season that maybe the players if we can keep the majority of the squad together these the players are going to remember these and hopefully whilst it might be better if they were able to see out these sort of results in preparation for the next season that feeling of okay we we don't let this slip and we 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 see these out these results out which we didn't manage to do last season because you can remember how it felt after the game that could possibly be be a positive um but maybe i'm being a bit optimistic there no i know what you're saying there was no I wasn't stressed at 92nd minutes because of what was riding on the game, but I was, I was stressed because I know what might happen and there was a kind of a sense of inevitability about it. Um, but yeah, looking at, I think there were some positives. I thought Richie, Richie gave an outstanding performance. Um, Richie and Lukic, I was really impressed with. I, I made a deliberate decision after the game not to look at the Pagello because I didn't want to be influenced by anything I read afterwards. So this is all on... This is kind of all on my interpretation of the game, my memory of the game. But I thought Richie and, and Lukic were particularly good. Um, it's, it seemed to me that Lukic was playing more advanced than Pabega. Um And whether that was just, they were sort of in interchangeable positions. But for a large majority of the season, it's been Pabega in that sort of more advanced role uh, up alongside sort of Brekalo. But it seemed like Lukic was the the one further forward and Pabega was more in the midfield. And, and or or that the three of them, Richie, Pabega and Lukic, were were closer together than they have been in, in, in previous games. And maybe there was more of like a 3-5-1-1 feel to the formation, which which shows a little bit of flexibility from Juric, which maybe we've not always seen. No, it's definitely more fluid. And I think maybe the idea was to get Pabega's energy and legs around some of their more talented players and to and to kind of put pressure on them that way, which which liberated Lukic a little bit more. Uh, but on the positive side, I think we'll talk about double P in a minute. Um, 
But just thought, uh, yeah, I thought it was a game, an interesting game for a few players. Rich and Lukic, very good. Berisha for me. But between Berisha and Milinkovic Savic, there's probably a good goalkeeper in there, but they have such contrasting um, uh, flaws and uh, I, I guess kind of flaws and also benefits of playing them. Um, I, think, but, I think uh, I, I think Berisha is a better shot stopper, um, given the advantage that he does actually make saves and like Milinkovic Savic. Savic, I think, is actually a bit, a bit more braver in coming for crosses. Um, Definitely. Um, which can be can be a good thing, can be a bad thing. There was one in the first half where he, he he could have easily caught it, but he just punched it just for no reason. There was absolutely absolutely no pressure on on them at all, and, and it just invites pressure. So, and and obviously distribution wise, Milinkovic Savic is it's probably could probably do a job in midfield better than half the midfielders we've had in the last decade or so. Um, no, you do you do that's the one the kind of area where you do miss Milinkovic Savic, except when he's you know when he is. Uh, doing what the Man City keeper did at, at, at this weekend. There's, there is an element of that. But when he plays those kind of direct long balls, it gets us up the pitch very fast and very accurately. Yeah. Um, definitely a big advantage. But yeah, there's two, two other players I wanted to more negatively. Um, one will lead on to, to double P, Pietro Pellegrini. But uh, Singo, for me, uh, this was a, a kind of point I had last week against Milan. For every two... He, he tends to do for every good thing he does, he does two two bad things, and um, yeah, often often something he does very well comes after making two bad decisions. Or um, and I just felt when Singo came on, I mean, Ina was a bit surprised Ina played, but I thought Ina gave a very steady performance. Um, understandably, at seventy minutes, it made sense to bring on a slightly pacier player and a player and a player in better form and, 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 and with kind of more legs. But I felt when Singo came on, that was a little bit, yeah, it's kind of a little bit the moment where we maybe lost a little bit of control of the game. And yeah, the second substitution was uh, far more positive. So Belotti in the first half for me just looked, um, I mean, I was quite unfair saying he looked drunk. Uh, he just didn't look there. He looked absent. Um, wall. um, almost kind of depressed in a way it's just nothing sticks to him uh he just he looks very sad at the moment and then when P- Pellegri came on um because you had the choice of Zaza, Sanabria all, you know all kinds of options to give you know to trust Pellegri's fitness for 45 minutes was quite brave mm-hmm. when Pellegri came on he just had I mean he is a bit he is kind of um he's a little bit he is a little bit cumbersome he's kind of deceptively speedy but he just came on and and pressed their defenders in a way and in a way that kind of Blotti normally does and it made he, it he does remind such a contrast. He, he does remind me of sort of Blotti from sort of five or six years ago, um, in in that fact that he is deceptively quick. He's tall. He's physical, um, and he will sort of put a shift in for the team. And and I think the difference between the two is obviously. When Belotti was his age, I think Pellegrini's twenty-one. He'd already played sort of a full season for Albino Lefe, I think, and had probably started playing. Was playing for the Italian the twenty-ones, and uh, was playing for Palermo and Serie B. Whereas Pellegrini's had maybe twenty senior games, um, and and whether that will will become the difference between their careers, but it was definitely optimistic the, the sort of cameo that Pellegrini put in and. Fully deserved his fully deserved his goal and finally making the most of uh, a sensational Ricardo Rodriguez corner. 
um, as, as we, <laughs> we finally managed to get Brekello off, taking off corners from both sides. Uh, Rodriguez, even, even the first half, I thought it could have had two uh, assists um, with Bremer hitting the post. Uh, and then finally, Pellegrini was there to, to sort of put one in the net. That's a very good point. Yeah, I think Rodriguez was was possibly man of the match, actually. He, he That'd be two, very, two games in yeah, a row. Two games in a row. But yeah, he backs up a very solid defensive performance with with having the opportunity to showcase his distribution from, from dead balls and also in open play, playing very well. So he was very good. Yeah, it's just massively frustrating we didn't get that kind of statement win. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, you chose the Lazio away as the game you wanted to win and we should have won. Um, and yeah, I mean, we'll talk about Spezia next week, but it's just going to be such a different game. Um, I think just to just to end on sort of a positive note, I did a, did a little bit of research um, that according to sort of taking into account the entire squad, Torino's is the third youngest in the league. Um, weirdly, the the two only teams younger are Spezia, who obviously were playing at the weekend, and Roma, who I think that might be um, a fact that they've used a couple of young players might have just skewed the figures a little bit, um, like a Mourinho picking some of the, the Mourinho youth. skewing the figures. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. So his commitment picking, to you probably probably picking There's some a couple of twelve-year-olds. Yeah, in, in the uh, in the Conference League games that didn't mean anything anymore. They've probably put, yeah they probably picked a couple of youngsters, but. Um, I do think that is, if you think of the ages of some of the players who, who, who do look like who are in the in the team and, and playing a lot of games. I mean, Lukic is only twenty five. Um, he feels like he's been around for for ages. Um, um, Richie is twenty. Uh, Pellegrini is twenty one. Singo, I think, is only twenty twenty one. Um, I do think if there would be, he would be a player where. If a big offer came in, I think you, you might be tempted to sell uh, whilst the potential is still there, and and that would give us maybe funds to uh, improve the squad again next season as well. Um, but then the only other point I was going to make is after the sort of disappointment of the Genoa defeat, we've we've came out and should have beaten Inter, should have beaten, well, it did beat Salernitana. Uh, sorry, should have been should have beaten AC Milan, I feel, or, or got a good point against AC Milan, Belize and Lantana, and then should have beat Lazio. So we've only got five points in those games. But I think if we'd got nine, I don't think we could have had too many complaints, which has showed a, a good reaction, which we were we were asking for after the sort of disappointment of that Genoa defeat. No, I agree, but I think both the Inter and Lazio games, we we weren't under a massive amount of pressure when we conceded those goals. That's what's frustrating. You can understand if it was, I mean, the Juve Bologna game this weekend where a team's got nine men and and the referees added on nine minutes of injury time. There's a sense of inevitability about that, even as a Bologna fan. Um, you probably know you're going to concede, but I just felt against Inter and, and um, Lazio. That's the other thing, a little bit more kind of. Um, uh, Atletico Madrid tactics, we, you know, or just a little being a little bit more streetwise. I didn't see any of that from Torino. There was a very little time wasting. And I do think kind of, I do think part of that comes within um, experience and and the fact that we do have one of the younger sides in the league. What one thing actually, just to um, sort of piggyback on that Atletico Madrid point, if you think of Torino's captains, uh, Blotti probably one of the nicest men in football. It, never really see him 
arguing there was an instance last season where he was fouled uh, in an Atalanta game and then stood up to the referee and told him that he wasn't fouled and um, they, he sort of withdrew his decision. Uh, Blotti comes off and the captain's armband goes to Bremer. Again, not a particularly nasty man. Um, just always played football with a smile on his face, always seems to be sort of helping opposition players up and whether there is just a bit of, whether you do, do need a bit of uh, nastiness in that team and I can't think of anybody. I mean, it's so maybe uh, Mandragora. It, it's so you would have got a bit of rolling around and maybe a, and a few yeah. kind of tactical fouls. But, but, but every like everybody yeah. else, they 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 seem to just be a very nice team. They're, they're, they're teams that like if your daughter was to get, to bring one home and, and to marry one, you wouldn't be too disappointed. Um, they, they do seem like very nice men, and maybe we do need a couple of bastards in there. Yeah. Well. I think that yeah, the two interesting stats were the average. I think the average age we finished the game was under twenty four, and if matches, I hate these sort of stats, and I, I kind of curse myself saying it. But if matches finished at eighty five minutes, we would have fifty one points, uh, which just goes to show not only have we conceded a, a lot of stupid late goals, we haven't really we haven't really won games late in no. the day because uh, we tend to win games early and and hang on or not hang on. But yeah, it was. Um, a good performance. Um, and like you said, the, the only thing we can hope is that it, it, come next season, hopefully when we're, we're a little bit closer to European places, we're seeing out these games a little bit better. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, moving uh, on from that disappointment, uh, unfortunately, uh, everybody, the listeners aren't able to see this, but Peter is wearing a very fetching uh, retro Torino top, which brings me on to our sort of discussion from last week's podcast. Um, and we we put our sort of three favourite kits forward and, and some of our least favourite kits forward as well. And just the results from the, the poll on Twitter um, actually had the, the Adidas um, shirt from the mid-80s as, as being the favourite home shirt. Any disagreements with that, Peter? No, I think that's... Um... I think, yeah, I think that was always going to be the way. It's such a cool kit. Uh, maybe a surprise in the away shirt was was this season's uh, Joma River Plate tribute. It is my favourite sort of of the River Plate shirts. I think it's a very smart shirt um, and probably one just to keep an eye on as well because for the last two seasons, um, classic football shirts have got a lot of Joma stuck in at the end of the season. So if anybody's sort of waiting for for that shirt, it might be worth rather than trying to import it over from Italy, just keeping an eye on, on that website. And they haven't paid for me for this, unfortunately, but uh, keep an eye on that website because they might have it uh, in stock at the end of the season for a, for a sort of reduced price. I think I think they had the home shirts and away shirts last season for about £30. So worth, uh, worth keeping an eye on that one. Uh, and then third place was the uh, legend shirt, the, the sort of blue one with the uh, players' names in the in the ball, which is a shirt that thankfully uh, I do own, um, and is pretty difficult to get hold of. But if anybody does find a, a link anywhere, then feel free to let us know, and I can sort of retweet it to anybody who might be be looking for one. I think a few people on Twitter were looking for that one, Peter. No, and I think yeah, I think they're all good choices. I think they're not only good, yeah, good choices, quite poignant choices, especially the. Um, the yeah the away shirt that River Plate tribute is as we said kind of it's 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 a very nice thing um, a very kind of warm thing and uh, again I guess it's kind of nostalgia and there's a lot of nostalgia about Torino and I think in all three of those kits 
yeah, the eighties is harking back to to a kind of a much different era as well. And the third kit having the the legends' names on, so I think they're all all very good choices. Are you going to do a little poll for the worst kits, or I think I, I, that or? I think I may do a poll for the worst kits worst kits this uh, this week. It was uh, I, I was worried of uh, Paul Overload, which um, isn't a reference to the nineties um, and two thousands Premier League over, uh, referee. Um, so it's I was triple, just, triple triple red tri- card. Was it triple, triple yellow yeah, card. Yeah, triple yellow card. So uh, yeah, I might I'll pop. Um, some of our picks for the worst kits and um, put those in the poll for this week, I think. Very good. Is it, is it hero of the week or villain of the week? What, what do we feel like? Let's, let's go hero. Let's go hero first. I think we need cheering up after the uh, Lazio results. So hero of the week, Peter, I'll hand over to yourself. So hero of the week. Yes. I think it's definitely more in the cult hero uh, category. I don't think this guy would be, I don't know if you if you were to put together the best two hundred Torino players of all time, I'm not sure he would be there. Maybe not in the best three hundred, and that's not not to do him a disservice. But um, so this guy, he didn't play in Serie B until he was thirty four years of age. He didn't play in Serie A until he was thirty five. He didn't pitch up at Torino until he was thirty eight. Um, so I'm yeah I'm talking about Oscar Brevi, who was our captain. Um, I guess in the kind of the first Cairo team, the, t- the, the Torino team, when 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 the club was reformed, and I think I think both of us have wanted to do a player from that season because it was such a such an important season um, in terms of yeah, the his- the history of Torino and just it, although we've also argued that the, that promotion came too early. I think the fact that Torino recovered so quickly from bankruptcy was very important, and the um, the spirit of that team and, and the togetherness of that team was really important. I think there's for me just three players from that kind of when Torino were reformed. The three characters they brought in who were very important, um, and I could have chosen all three of them. And I think one one of them you will probably choose in in the future. Um, so there's there's Oscar Bravi who we'll talk about. Uh, there's Roberto Muzzi, who was the uh, buccaneering centre-forward. The only thing bigger than his thighs were his biceps. Um, he just used to wear a very tight kit. But yeah, Muzzi was someone, when I started Italian, following Italian football in the early 90s, he was knocking him out of Roma and, and Cagliari. Um, and he was just such a kind of... Uh, he, he he kind of got the the spirit of, of, of Torino and just... He, yeah, sometimes he would do some very stupid. He'd get. He was very, um, very guilty of kind of getting a very easy yellow card and that kind of thing. But he was the sort of player who would who would turn a game kind of on, on on getting a niggly foul or getting into a fight with somebody. Um, but yeah, and he again, we'll talk about a lot of his characters. They actually came at the end of their careers in Serie B and ended up staying for the Serie A season as well. So you had Muzzi Brevi, and I think the one you may talk about in the future without putting any pressure on is, is Rosinaldo. Um, Alessandro Rosina, who was who was a you know he was a a real kind of dual, um, very talented player um, at the be- kind of at the beginning of his career, so quite different to everybody else. So I could have, for me, they're the kind of three cornerstones of that that promotion team. But the reason, yeah, the reason I chose Bolivia is his story is so interesting. So as I said, he arrived at Torino at thirty eight. He played thirteen games in in Serie A with Como uh, in his mid thirties, having only just played in Serie B. So yeah, he'd played, he'd kind of spent his career the likes of Corsico, Solibiate, Lumazzane, 
he done he you know he done the tour of Italy in the lower leagues, never thinking this opportunity would arrive. And then I don't believe as well, because a lot of those players who arrived under Gianni Debiazzi were ex Modena players. So he got this block of uh five or six ex Modena players. And obviously it was quite difficult for Torino to get players together because it was mainly getting out of contract players or players who weren't wanted where they were. But I don't believe Brevi had a particular connection to, certainly not to Cairo and certainly not to, to Debiazzi, but he came in 38 years old, given the captain's armband. Um, he was not necessarily a massively physically imposing centre-half. He was quite good on the ball, but he, he was one of those centre-halves who used to get very tight to his, um, very tight to strikers. And would just, yeah, always give 100%. As I said, not the most skillful player we'll ever see at Torino, but he played 37 games in that promotion season, all of the playoff games, uh, scored one goal. Uh, generally, this was in in the back five as well. Um, and then you thought, Torino got promoted to Serie A. Just, we don't need a 38 or 39-year-old. Um, you know, we're going to hook a lot of these players out. And, and that's what Cairo tried to do, and it's, probably kind of understandable because a lot of these players hadn't played in Serie A, they were over the hill. And we brought in, we, for some strange reason, we sacked Debiazzi to bring in um, Alberto Zaccaroni, who had this 3-4-3 formation, which was very di- different. It was just very, you know, it was it was like bringing in Sarri or someone like that who had a very specific philosophy. Um, and Cairo didn't bring in the, the right players for Zaccaroni. And we really, the first 20 games of that season... I think Zaccaroni lasted uh, 25 games. He lasted, but we were really struggling towards the, the bottom of the league. The new signings didn't work out very well. Bravey played four of those first 19 games. So as I said, it's like, yeah, this guy is is not someone we're going to be able to rely on in Serie A. And then Zaccaroni gets the chop. We get 13 games to save the season. Bravey comes in. Muzzi comes back. Rosin is there. Uh, the likes of, I think we had Andrea Ardito, who was just such a kind of um, workhorse type midfielder. Your man Stelloni, Lazatic, the non-scoring winger, Jacopo Balestri, Lazatic, uh, the, yeah. the, um, the Serbian Jack Grealish, as, as I like to call him. He uh, he had his socks down his ankles before it was cool, I believe. He did. He was he was not a bad player, Lazatic, but he had these seven or eight characters from the promotion season. They came back under their Biazzi. And we just about survived. And Bravia was absolutely fundamental in that. Um, and both seasons, it was, especially the promotion season, it was a very small squad. Um, I'd say that was an unbelievable achievement, that promotion season. It was all built on momentum. And the um, just kind of the good feeling within that squad and the fact that they were just on, all of his players have been, been given an opportunity they never thought they would get, which was to play for Torino. Um, there, you know, there were seven or eight of those players who, in normal circumstances, we never would have signed. Um, and I think Bravey was just such a tremendous character in those two seasons. And I think, yeah, he's not not the finest centre half we'll ever see. But what you know, what an absolute story um, to to have those two seasons at that age. Um, I think it's kind of inspirational. It's kind of it's, it's a kind of very different story to one we've had as a hero. That's, that's a very good point there, uh, Peter. And I think there's probably uh, comparisons with sort of another era of Torino fans um, or Torino players, sorry, with this Serie B campaign where we needed 
because of issues that we've discussed in the Di Michele episode where we needed a whole new team in January and we we picked these players out from sort of lower leagues um, to, to sort of join the club and, and they also sort of came together and were players that you would never expect to play for Torino and, and weren't the most talented players but came in and did a really good job in that in that era, slightly different era but one of the players I have a bit of affection to and we're from that um, Serie B campaign it was uh, Rashid Arma um, who I don't think is going to make the, the Toro hero so I'm glad he's managed to get a, get a mention but sort of players who are predominantly sort of Serie C level players um, given an opportunity to play for Torino which they probably would never have, have dreamed of um, have actually sort of excelled in that sort of in that situation but that has been the bright spark of their career and, and that's been the anomaly and they've they've then sort of gone back to to sort of playing in the lower leagues but will always have that that bit of affection I think Bravey probably fits into that category as well no absolutely no. yeah I remember that that was a supermarket sweep I think it was under Petraki when Petraki just came in but and there were all sorts of characters I remember was it Manolo uh, Pestrin who played in midfield yeah. he was a very easy red card as well the one I liked from that era was um, I think he was a player with a very strange career was uh, Baruso the Ghanaian midfielder yeah. absolute uh, muscles like uh, very very strong guy um, and he was very very good for five or six games and I think his whole career was just blighted by by injuries because he he would just run he'd around a, he'd run he'd around just, for a, yeah. yeah but he for bought 90 yeah, minutes you're absolutely right but then there's other players from I think it was like 12 or 13 players that's when D'Ambrosio came as well yeah but there's other kind of there's other members of that list um who got one or two games and they just didn't cut the mustard it was a very it was a very kind you're right it's a very interesting there are two interesting approaches what happened in in kind of um 0506 was almost all of those players worked out they had to work out because the squad was so small um and then yeah what happened a little bit later under Petraki was five or six of them actually blossomed and became uh became quite important to the team yeah, I think and, and others, yeah the Ambrosio went from I think he came from Juve Stabia in in Serie C and sort of then progressing, he's probably the standout of, the, of those players. And it's gone on to, I think he's played for Italy and he's played in the Champions League for Inter. And he's, he's quite a key member of, of an Inter side that, who've, who've gone on to win the league. So he's probably the sort of success, success story from, from those uh, signings in, in that sort of later period. But yeah, like you say, I think the, the situations were slightly different, especially the 05-06 season. There was that necessity to, and then later on it was more this is sort of our last opportunity and maybe had a little bit more finance, a bit more flexibility to try and find the sort of the best young players from the lower divisions rather than sort of relying on the experience. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, but yeah, they're all kind of all sorts of uh, the characters. I remember Pele Corey as well. Do you remember him? Yeah. I think he had a spell at um, QPR. At QPR as well. And Budel and was it Biagio? Biagio Pagano as well. Yeah, we Biagio Pagano and Daniele De Vezze. Quite liked him yeah. in, in centre yeah. midfield. Um, um, so, yeah, it, I think this the Toro Hero um, sort of part on this podcast, a lot of the players that we'll talk about will be sort of genuine 
icons and we're a little bit restricted with sort of our ages that we can't sort of mention players from from obviously Grande Torino or the sort of the 70s um, or even even the early 80s so he's sort of restricted sort of late early 90s and then sort of the 2000s so a few of these players are going to be sort of our court picks and, and players who we've got a bit of an affection for um, maybe for maybe for a strange reasons and um, I think that will that will keep it interesting that it's not always going to be the sort of usual stories that you're going to be able to hear. Absolutely. And are you ready for your? Um, I am ready, ready for your villain. So are you ready to to get angry, Robert. So well, I always struggle with villain because, um, as I think we've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast, we I do have a bit of an affection for sort of the Badone and and the the poorer Torino players. Um, but this player is somebody who I've just never liked before he played for Torino when he signed for Torino I was excited because I thought he would add something a little bit different but it didn't work out and he's probably a player to sort of be the um the poster boy for for that sort of Torino signing which I'm sure we've all had where you think this is going to be a great sign it's going to take us to the next level and then they don't work out at all um so it is Roberto Soriano uh, who signed on loan from Villarreal uh, in the 2018-19 season, which actually um, did sort of go on to be a good season for Torino. We qualified for the Europa League. Um, and Soriano was sort of an attacking midfielder who was seen to be a little bit different from the sort of players who Mazzari would would usually field in that role. Um, and technically good. Um, always seemed to score for us again when he was playing for Sampdoria, always seemed to score and, and play well against us. So when he signs and sort of returning to Italian football, I was quite excited and thinking this this is going to be a really good signing. And he did not turn out to be a good sign. He he seemed almost like he resented the fact that he was playing for Torino, which was strange because I, I don't think he was playing uh, that much at Villarreal either. Um, and you would think to be able to get the opportunity to come back into Italian football. He just never seemed to settle, even in the, in the rare games that he did play. He was never really a regular um, in the half season that he spent at the club. And, and the reasons for those I'll, I'll go on to later. Um, but he just never fit into the team. And there was the sort of midfielders at the time, you're thinking sort of Lukic, who was um, not a regular at the time, um, would have been Mate as well, but there, it, there was no real reason for him to not be able to fit into that side. But for whatever reason, whether it's Mazzari didn't like him, and as we probably may go on to in a future episode with Adam Lyach, there were there were certain players who Mazzari was just like, no, you're, you're not for me. Um, but Mazzari, uh, but Soriano rather, rather than sort of knuckle down in training and um, sort of continue to, to try and work hard to impress the manager and and sort of hope that in a Torino side who were getting results and impressing could sort of stake a claim for replacing that side. He seemed to take the opposite approach, which was uh, try and get out of this loan spot as quickly as possible. Um, and he did succeed um, in probably the, the best Instagram way. Post. Yeah, the best, the, best way, the best way possible was to um, start liking Instagram posts after a derby defeat against Juventus, um, which does seem like the, the tactic of a of a scorned lover heading heading onto Instagram to sort of like posts of a rival. But but that is what Soriano did. I think he did claim like a lot of people do, uh, that it was a uh 
accidental uh, double tap on on the like button, but Torino fans weren't buying it, and and he was uh, very quickly shipped off. Uh, loan spell was cut short, um, and he ended his Torino career with twelve games and only one goal in the Coppa Italia. And for, for today's golden prize, Peter, do you have any idea who that goal was against in the Coppa Italia? I do remember the goal. Was it a two 0 win? It was a two 0 win. Yes. Um, was it a Serie B side? Serie C. Serie C. I'll give you a clue. Um, not not Italian speaking area. Is it the Sud Tirol team coached by Paolo Zanetti at the time? Correct. It was Sud Tirol. So yeah, I I didn't I didn't remember. I think I, I remember watching that game. I think it was on on holiday at the time. Um, but I have no recollection of the game or the result. But I can remember what I can remember having seen the date of the game. I can remember that I was on holiday and watched the game. So I've no no recollection of the goal either, but it was he he just sums up for me that sort of player who you sign on loan and, and there was another player who I was tempted to pick but may may come up in a in a future episode so might might save that mention for them. But he, a player who you sign it and usually it happens maybe with loan players more so than permanent signings. Do you think he's gonna be a really good signing? And they turn out to be absolutely awful. Uh, and whether in this situation it was Soriano's fault, it was the coach's fault, it was just at the wrong time. He's gone on to have a, a quite a, a decent career at, at Bologna and he's continued his trait of continuing to play well against Torino every time we seem to play uh, Bologna. And, and maybe some players just don't fit certain teams and and whether that it was that. But I think the, the Instagram sort of story always is it's a bit of a... It upset you, yeah. I just, I just don't understand it really. I just think um, it's, it's just something you don't do. I mean, even, even accident, even accidentally. Why are you following Juventus, Roberto? Why have you got? I don't follow Juventus on Instagram. You've got absolutely no reason to either. Definitely not getting a move there. You can barely play for Torino. Um, what do you, I mean, do you remember the Camel Glick episode? We said, um, I think we agreed that Camel Glick was. Um, he was good for Torino and Torino was good for Camel Glick. And I think with, with Soriano, it was the opposite. He was bad for Torino and Torino were bad for him. Yeah. I mean, he he was signed to be that kind of classic, what they call in Italy, kind of salto di qualità that summer. He's a player who can play between the lines, isn't he? He's kind of a slightly kind of, I wouldn't say lawless midfielder, but given kind of, he's kind of given license to to kind of break tactical lines. He's He's, he's got an eye for a goal. Uh, classic kind of a high Livich player, I think, but he, he's pretty much been a success everywhere he's been. I think Torino is definitely the well, well and Villarreal. I imagine that might be the reason why he he made the move uh, initially online. But I think Villarreal. I mean, yeah, it's, da- it's slightly dangerous to look at stats, but his stats don't look too bad at Villarreal. But when he left Torino to to join Bologna, he only lost three more games that season. <laughs> Um, one of them was to Bologna with Soriano and Lianco. Was that the, the, the Lianco game, which may get a mental uh, on a future was, episode as that well. That was the Lianco game, which, you know, kind of cost us and didn't cost us Europa League football. Um, but yeah, I mean, Soriano is just, you said everything, really. It was just, I think there's probably been a few of those signings in midfield. We, we've really struggled in midfield over the last 10, 15 years. I think the kind of current Torino side, we've probably got amongst the best crop of midfielders we've had for a while. Um, but we've kind of bemoaned the years of Rincon. Um, 
Uh, uh, sorry to kind of pick on Rincon because when you know when Rincon had his legs, he served the purpose. But they, they, you know the kind of we we had. Oh, I mean, I just also think of Val de Fiore as well, and people like that. It we just, we did. Yeah. I think that the, the two areas from from when I've been to Reno fan, there's two areas which we've always struggled, and that's been left back and centre midfield. And I think in, if you think in the last sort of fifteen years, the best sort of centre midfielder we've probably had is probably Alessandro Gazzi, who is. <laughs> It may again may also get mentioned in a later episode, but that is sort of sums up the sort of quality of a midfielder that we've had. We've had a lot of players who flattered the sieve, like a, a Marco Benassi or a Daniele Baselli, a Soelio Mete, who will have a couple of good games, but then they will sort of revert to sort of five, six out of tens and and never really sort of put their head at and and push the team onto the next level. Uh and Soriano, I think, being in one of those positions as well, where you think, okay, this is going to be somebody who will sort out the midfield, and then they they just they totally fail to do that. Yeah, I mean, I really like Gatsy, and I think he might come up as a court hero. Um, just another very interesting character. I think, but I think Beppe Vives was probably the better player because tactically he was he was fundamental to the way Ventura played, and I think he had a little bit more range to his game than than Gatsy did but yeah we've just had a lot of those Bazelli was such a disappointment because he started so well and you know when you're buying a young player from Atalanta who has a very kind of good good first season it's just a shame the fact that Bazelli was at Torino so long kind of underlines that he didn't really kick on because if he had kicked on he we would have got two or three seasons out of him and he would have moved on and I think that was the kind of pathway that was always there um, but I would yeah Soriano always reminds me of one who I really disliked, which was Antonio Nocciorino. Very similar. He loved Instagram, Antonio. He was another kind of early user of Instagram, Nocciorino. And yeah, he said Soriano didn't get on with with Mazzari's tactics. And I mean, Nocciorino was the same. It was a Europa League season. Uh, It was a season we were in the Europa League, so we had a lot more matches. We brought in Nocciorino for his experience. Um. Ventura just did not like him. He he played about eleven games, um, I think five in the league, and I think he played more in the Europa League because kind of because of the kind of, I guess some of the early Europa League games were quite soft. But yeah, not Torino was a very similar character. It was this kind of yeah, a little bit. What am I doing here? I've come from, I've you know I've come from Milan, and um, yeah, I mean not Torino's career as well fizzled out pretty. Uh, pretty rapidly actually after we left Torino. So again, I think it was probably one Ventura called right. But and then going back to our old friends Barone and Fiore in the early Cairo years, this kind of big name, you know, Italian international or one-time Italian international midfielders we've signed have never really come off. Um, and Soriano was, yeah, yeah, I guess kind of another one of them. But just yeah, he didn't. We didn't kind of fit him into our team. I think yeah, the fact that he just didn't get a a first team play straight away um, obviously didn't help him and uh, the situation deteriorated pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, when you follow anyone who's kind of following Juventus on Instagram, I mean, you know, they don't, they don't deserve to be a Torino hero, do they? So That's, That is why very deservedly Soriano is in the, the villains category. Um, and yeah, I'm sure. Thankfully, I think we've played Bologna twice this season, so he can't come back to bite us uh, 
that quickly anyway. But yeah, so should we preview this up weekend's upcoming game? Um, which is rather inconsider- inconsiderately, is at the one kickoff time, in, which means BT Sport are unable to show the game, which is Saturday at 2 pm. Uh, it's a home game against Spezia. Um, they're currently 15th, uh, a side who we failed to beat last season, uh, even despite them having 10 men for the majority of the game. And then the away fixture, we, we'll try not to discuss too much because it's probably my my low point as a Torino fan as we, we lost 4-1 seemed to be sort of staring relegation in the face as um, Tommaso Pavega, uh, funnily enough, pulled in, put in a, an excellent performance against us. Um, they've won two of the last five. Um, their away form hasn't been sensational all season, but they've beaten Napoli and Milan uh, away from home. So, that suggests that they might sort of turn up and ruin the ruin the party in the same way that Cagliari and Venezia have done recently, where we struggled to sort of break down these or blow away these sides in the first 10, 15 minutes and they've managed to sort of get into the game. And that would probably be my my fear for, for this weekend, Peter. How about yourself? Yeah, I think it's a good call. I think if you're a Spezia fan, when your team came up to Serie A and you've watched the three games against Torino, we've been three of our most hopeless performances, aren't they? And the one earlier this season as well was, uh, wasn't was a very typical Torino performance. It was very um, a very limp performance away from home. Um, yeah, it's a hard one. They're a very tough team and they've done very well because of their transfer ban as well. A fairly rookie coach in, in, in Thiago Motta. Um, they're a very stubborn team though. And I think they're a little bit, they're a little bit probably like Torino to play against. It, it, I think we will find uh, playing against Spezia a bit like some of the teams we've played recently playing against Torino. And I, I think my only hope is they're pretty much safe. Um, they've been on a good run, and maybe we just we do we do catch them on one of those afternoons where um, uh, we get a few early goals and we and we can run away with it and. I do, um, I do, so I do like, get yeah. the feeling that one of those afternoons is coming for, for Torino. We, I think before the end of the season, we might get at least one more sort of big performance where we sort of score three or four. I'm not sure where um, Dennis Pratt is in, in his sort of recovery, but if he was able to sort of get on the bench and maybe even get sort of 20, 30 minutes, it'd be nice to have to have him back for the sort of last few games because he is the one sort of player in the squad who who can sort of produce something that and nothing whether it's sort of just just with his sort of technical ability, uh, producing a pass and and sort of creating opportunities from out of, from out of nothing. Um, but I think I've the base is there. Now. I mean, the base is there with his team. The defense is good at the moment. I don't know if Mandragal will be back, but the the kind of midfield's playing quite well. And the question is, how is he going to? How are the, who are the front three going to be, and how are they going to play? Belotti is massively out of form. Brecolo, we've not really talked about. He, he's been very very quiet recently. I think if we'd had credible alternatives and then I think Juric would have swapped him out of the team. Um, Piazza's not, yeah, not kind of been given a, a look at looking recently. So does he go with Pellegri from the start? Is Pellegri going to guarantee? That was, that was going to be my, yeah. that was going to be my question. If I think there was, there was a little bit of rumours that the reason Belotti was withdrawn at half time against Lazio was due to injury, but I'm not sure whether that was just trying to sort of, 
save a little bit of face for him for, for such a poor first half performance and then getting hooked at half time. Um, but if you were even your rich and you were sort of naming your starting eleven between Pellegrini and Bellotti, who would you give the starting jersey to? Well, I think in, in the era of five substitutions, I don't think there's too much risk in terms of um, how long a player is going to play. So I think if Pellegrini is recovered from the Lazio match, then it'd be quite interesting to see him from the start. But again, who do you? Are we going to see a bit more of um, of Dembasek? Um, mm. Oh, he. Uh, yeah, who 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 is who is going to support Pellegrini and and because uh, that kind of makeup is quite quite interesting. But yeah, I would the other factor is we've got Atalanta on the Wednesday and then Empoli the following weekend, so it's three games in in seven days. So Juric will probably be looking at a bit of turnover. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if we see one or two kind of left field decisions in some of these matches. Um, if I was a betting man, if everyone's fit, I think he may start again with with Bellotti, and we may see Pellegrini um, Pellegrini come on during during the course of the match. Um, but again, yeah, Priot. Hopefully, maybe by the Empoli game, we'll we'll see we'll see him, um, and just have that little bit more competition for places and a little bit more variety. Um, but yeah, it's a I guess an intriguing game. This weekend, it's a shame that, uh, yeah, it might be, it's definitely going to be tricky for me to be able to, see, to, to kind of watch the game this weekend anyway. Um, probably likewise for yourself. So, yeah. In that I case, mean, it'll probably be a, a resounding 5 1 win. Yeah, I do. I do seem to remember. I remember one season in uh, Serie B under Ventura where every result seemed to be a workman like sort of 1 2, 1 0, 2 0 victory. Um, and then the one game I, I wasn't able to watch, uh, we beat Gubbio 6 0. Um, so I do get the feeling this could happen again. Like to sort of Torino will produce their best performance of the season in a game where the majority of people can't watch it in the UK. Um, but but I also yeah, I also find Torino quite funny. At, there's so many teams who have bad records against, and so many coaches. And I think this kickoff time as well, the early kickoff time, we never seem to have a very good record. So it's a, it's a miracle we win any game, to be honest. Yeah, we we yeah, seem to have a terrible record against everybody. I don't know how I don't know how we've ever survived. Maybe yeah, um, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick Maneka. I think Torino are going to win comfortably on, on on Saturday. There might be a combination of reasons for that, but I'm being positive. I think Torino four bets you one. And I, I was I was thinking similar. I'll maybe I maybe go three now for um, hopefully keep a clean, clean sheet, sheet as well. Okay. Uh, and whether there might be a change in goal as well, Barisha probably had the the biggest sort of was at fault for that goal um, against Lazio and in a game where we're probably most likely to dominate a bit of the possession, whether you want Milinkovic-Savic or sort of superior distribution um, might make a, make a factor. And it, I think it would be harsh on Berisha because he, ha- he has played well, but Milinkovic-Savic started the season as number one and, and I've just got a feeling he might end the season as number one as well. All right, well, time will tell. Um, but yeah, a bit, of a bit of a tour de force over the next next few weeks in terms of matches. So hopefully we can get a little bit closer to, I mean, if we'd, if we'd beaten Lazio, we would be close to that top half of the table. But hopefully, you know, seven points from from Spezia, Atalanta and Empoli would be, we would probably sign for that right now. Um, but 
yeah, fingers crossed and Forza Toro. Forza Toro.